We're back, and uh, let's give a nice warm radio from uh, welcome this morning to Dr. Kerry Black, who um, we'd love to be able to brag about stuff like this. Grew up in uh, Wolcott, a graduate of Stowe High School. What year was that? 1997. Oh, my God. Wow. All right. You're, uh, you're so young. All right. Uh, I won't mention class of 78. E. My goodness. All right. Uh, and she has uh, now been working with NASA, and uh, where she is a physicist, and uh, has been working on this uh, question and, and talking about here locally this idea of solar weather. All right. So, but before we get into this, so how of the fifty thousand different directions you could have taken your life, did you wind up going in this direction? Well, it was a little bit of luck. A little bit of happenstance. Um, I did my uh, bachelor's degree at University of Vermont in physics, and then went to UNH because I wanted to go to some uh, to a state school, someplace that was comfortable. And I had a great advisor there. He was a plasma physicist. We happened to be collaborating with a with my current advisor at NASA. And when I saw the sun and what people were doing with it, you know, monitoring it the way they were, I. I just I kind of lost it and decided this was a thing that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of luck. It was okay. a lot of luck. I really wanted to go into string theory initially, but the opportunity wasn't there. So I headed into plasma physics, and it, it turned out to be a great move. What is it? What is it about this that really fires you up and makes it a passion? Well, the the images, the dynamic nature of the sun, the big explosions that you can see, and then the small scale structures that that are there as well, and and then to find out not only is this thing beautiful. Uh, but that it actually affects our lives, that there's an impact to modern society. Okay. So it's sort of part of a larger thing? Is that part of what drives you here? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, So it's really fantastic to look at these images and the movies, and we've got all of this fantastic new data coming out of NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory satellite. Uh, And then we're, you know, we're working on the next generation of satellites to monitor Earth's magnetic field as well. So just see the connection between sun and between, and to the Earth and to the other planets as well, to discover that, not only did Earth have a magnetic field, but all of, well, not all of them, but most of the other planets have magnetic fields as well, and that they have different shapes is, you know, put a whole new spin on what's happening out there for me. Mm-hmm. Where is this observa- the observatory satellite that watches the sun? It orbits Earth, actually. So it's in the near-Earth environment, and uh, they manage to always be looking at the sun, except when you have to do technical things. Okay. Yeah. What's it looking at? What's it recording? It's recording various wavelengths of light. So it's got several different filters on it. And it, it, uh, you get images of the full solar disk. So you can see the whole sun, the part that's facing us, in seven or eight different wavelengths. Okay. Wow. Uh, wow. It, it's really beautiful. If, if folks get a chance, I recommend going to sdo.nasa.gov to look at them. You can look at the most current data. You can see what the scientists can see right now. Okay, one more time on that a little more slowly, please. That's sdo.nasa.gov. Okay. I mean, I know those of you in the class of 97 could probably get that really quickly. (laughs) Those of us in the class of 78 are a little (laughs) bit slower on the uptake here. How'd you wind up at NASA? Uh, Through a collaboration with my Ph.D. advisor. Uh, He was on a grant with my current group at, at NASA and they happen to need a postdoc. Um, so a postdoc is essentially someone who is finishing up their PhD and you go and do um, an apprenticeship of sorts. So they needed somebody and I happened to have the, white, the right qualifications. 
So they took me on. I was really lucky. I won a NASA postdoctoral fellowship to join that group. And then subsequently, I was awarded a, a National Science Foundation postdoctoral research fellowship as well. Okay. To study what? So what I'm studying is the triggers for these solar storms. So solar storms happen by and large in two parts. It's kind of like thunder and lightning. You have a flash of light, which is the solar flare that most people are used to hearing about. And then there's a giant eruption of mass, billions of tons of mass. It's called a coronal mass ejection. So what I'm doing is studying how these things are related and what the physical mechanism is that gets these storms started. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. a uh huh. Um, it's a phenomenon that's called magnetic reconnection, and I wouldn't mention this at all except that NASA just launched a satellite the, um, to study this. Four satellites actually, so they're studying this mechanism in Earth's magnetic field as well. So this particular mechanism happens in many many places on the sun and in all of the planetary magnetic fields and then it also happens in fusion devices so it, it's fascinating it's got widespread implications okay tell me about that last part it's in fusion devices it's what, in how's that in, impact my life here well you know the the fusion community has been working on our next source of of green energy in a sense um, but magnetic reconnection happens to be one of the mechanisms that's preventing people from being able to get confined plasma so that we can get ener enough energy out of oh, it. Oh, okay. All right. So it's there because I know there are these like down at Princeton, right? Right. There's a machine where they're trying to figure out basically to create energy. I almost say it's creating energy out of nothing. <laughs> So, and, the, and what you're studying is preventing that from happening somehow? Yeah, they had, do have an instrument down at the Princeton Plasma Physics Lab, um, MRX, I think it's called, I think it's the magnetic reconnection device. So they noticed magnetic reconnection was happening in fusion devices, and now they set up plasma devices to study it, um, you know, specifically. So we can try to figure out how to control a plasma. A plasma is a very wily thing. It's going to do what it wants to do. Okay. What, what is plasma? Uh, great question. So plasma is a, it's a collection of charged really, particles. really, but thanks. <laughs> no, it's a good question. You got to know what it is, right? Well, I think of plasma, you know, I think of medical settings. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so I believe actually that the, the plasma that I work with, the charged particles, gets its name from, from the blood plasma. There's some, there's some relation in concept, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. Uh, so a plasma that I study is a collection of charged particles. So you've got positively charged particles, and then you've got electrons, the negatively charged particles. And because they're charged, you get large, you get electric fields, and then you get magnetic fields as well. So 99% of the universe is made up of, well, outside of dark matter, the matter that we can see is made up of plasma. Okay. So they're all charged particles that mm -hmm. are making up is there more than one? Is there more positive than negative? Is it all even? Is it, how does it work? So overall, it's actually know, that neutral. Good, that was a good question. Too, yeah, that was. It's this whole thing is called quasi neutrality. So when you look on a very very large scale, uh, it's neutral. But when you look locally on smaller scales, you can get you know bunches more of positive charge in one region and bunches more of negative charge in another region. So that's where the dynamics comes from. It's having these these blotches essentially. Okay, what happens when you have more of one in a region than the other? Then you you have a, a, an overall region that's positively charged or negatively charged, and then depending on what you know kinds of flows there are in the system, you can get very interesting stuff. So one of the things that we see in magnetic reconnection 
um, studies is that you have these regions uh, that are positively charged and then regions that are negatively charged. And so you get strong electric fields and fascinating stuff can happen there. Like what? Uh, this is you're asking me really tough questions. These are really good. Uh, so when you get when you get strong electric fields, the particles tend to flow along them. And so what we're trying to do as physicists is we want to control the particles and make them go in a certain direction. So we try to set up a field so that the particles will flow along them, and then the plasma does its own kind of thing and reestablishes different fields and does something that we don't want it to do. Okay, like cause interruptions in computers something like that oh so uh, in about? the in the plasma devices um for example what we need to do is to confine the plasma so keep it all in a particular region so we set up electric fields and magnetic fields that we think are going to confine the plasma and then the plasma responds to it the electrical uh, sorry the negative charges go one way and the positive charges go another way and we try to account for this uh, but in a sense they don't follow, ultimately, they respond to the fields we've established and set up something else that we didn't anticipate. And so this happens over and over and over and over. So each time we kind of get a different step in the process. But we haven't okay. quite reached the end goal, which is let's keep the plasma all in this one okay. region. And, and pardon if you know I ask an incredibly stupid question, but can you take a positive area and flood it with negative and make it even? Uh, you can, but temporarily. And, and then depending on what the dynamics of the fields are like, uh, it won't stay neutral. It won't stay neutral. Okay. It, All right. Yeah. And I think in a sense, we don't actually want it to stay neutral. We just want to be able to manipulate how the charges move. Okay. And that's the challenge. All right. Go back here. You, you said that you were studying this idea of what triggers solar storms. Right. What, what have you concluded on that? Well, we think that uh, magnetic reconnection is, is the trigger for the storm. But we don't entirely understand how this happens. So what, what needs to happen is that you have a very slow buildup of energy and then a sudden release of it. So we can model these things. I, I do computer simulations. Um, I run my, my models on you know, thousands of processors at NASA supercomputing centers. Um, so what, we, uh, what we're trying to do is figure out exactly how you manage to store energy for a certain amount of time and then how it releases uh, in, the, in our large-scale codes um, and our, essentially our, our hydrodynamic codes. Um, they... Uh, they release energy regularly because because of the way the codes are written. But what we want to do is store it for a while and then trigger it. So the the work that I'm doing is is how exactly are we able to store energy and then how do we turn it on so that it triggers. Okay. What's the ultimate goal? Is there a practical use for what you're studying? Yeah, this is good. This is very good. So there is a practical use for it. Uh, for the solar community, if we understand how magnetic reconnection is happening, we can build better models and perhaps we'll be able to actually predict when a solar storm is going to erupt. Okay. This Why would that be helpful? So the coronal mass ejections that come up off of the sun, when they impact Earth, they have, they have effects on power grids and on satellites, communication Ra satellites. Stations. Right, right, yeah. radio stations, yep, and on, um, on pipelines as well. So we need to be aware that these things are, are coming towards us so that folks can take appropriate action or account for degradation in oil pipelines, this kind of thing. Okay, you got to help me out here. Okay, sure. I, I understand 
the theory of what happens to our satellite communications. They get uh -huh. disrupted. I mean, basically, it's almost like a cloud coming through and blocking the, the communication. Right. How, how on earth would it affect a pipeline? Ah, that's great. That's great. So what happens is that this, this eruption, this coronal mass ejection, comes from, coming from the sun has large magnetic fields. And so when it impacts Earth's magnetic field, uh, even though it's remote, right, it's, it's many, many miles from the surface of, of Earth, it generates currents, electrical currents that can flow through pipelines. Uh, so you have a changing magnetic field, which generates a current. So pipelines are made out of things that, that currents can run through. Okay. They call them geomagnetic, geomagnetic magnetically induced currents. What, what's the downside of that? In pipelines, it causes degradation of the material. So eventually you'll need to, you'll need to replace your pipelines. I mean, you, pipelines are going to degrade for many reasons, but this is one of, the, one of the contributions. Okay, so this is somehow like going through the pipelines right, and degrading right. it. Right, it floats through the metal. Kind yeah. of sort of a, almost uh, having a corrosive effect like, a, like exactly. an air rust or something? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Wow. I, okay, so why, is that why isn't that happening to everything? Uh, that's a really good question. So I think I'm going to take a stab at it. I think it has something to do with the material and then the size of the of the pipelines. Okay. They're very, very large and very big. So I, I believe that it's similar um, to what happens in the power lines, which is that transmission lines are the ones that are most affected by these geomagnetically induced currents and the local power lines like the stuff that goes into your house are not so affected by them and I, again I, I believe it's because of the size of the lines okay all right but the big giant power lines are negatively affected the same way pipelines are they are affected they are affected the big issue with the power lines is that when the current the currents can run through the power lines and i i believe it's more or less okay i believe that they see these fluctuations the issue is when they hit substations and they hit transformers then there's a, a release of this energy and you can get explosions okay all right for really big storms for really big storms all right uh let's go to waitsfield michael good morning how are you Good morning on this sunny morning. So anyway, Mark's on a roll. He's asked 100 great questions, you told him. I have a question. I don't know if it's great or not. <laughs> I'm just wondering if this um, small-scale solar that we have and the small-scale wind that we have is really a stepping stone, or is it never going to happen that we're going to get our energy from space-based solar? Ah, that's, that is a great question. That's a great question. There are people I'm that are working on Mark. it. I only get one question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so folks are thinking about how you could possibly capture the energy from these coronal mass ejections because there, there's enough energy in one of those things to power yeah. the entire planet for years and years and years. They, they're really, really huge. They're you know, hundreds and millions of times larger than the Earth. So capturing the energy is going to be a challenge. So we need all hands on deck. If people have brilliant ideas on new materials that we could put up in space, we'd love to hear about them. Huh. You have another great question, Michael? No, I'm just wondering that, um, is this, I've been reading about this. I, is, is, is it something that we can think is ever reality or is it just so far flung that, uh, there's no way for man to do it. You know, it, it seems to me that's where our resources should be going. That's where all the energy in the world is. It, yeah. And, we, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't see 
any any predictions of when or this or that? Predicting when is really difficult, but I don't think that it's beyond the realm of what humans are possible uh, are capable of doing. I, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Uh, it's a matter of putting our resources into into the right areas. So you know, if you fund your scientists and engineers to do this work, we can do anything. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our local number. Toll free, you can reach us at eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. We've been talking with Dr. Kerry Black. We've been uh, talking about solar storms and magnetic uh, fields. Is that a fair way to describe? Yes, that's it? Okay. perfect. So the so uh, the sun creates a magnetic. Mm-hmm. Pull? What, how would you describe it? The sun is itself a magnet. It's a very complicated magnet. So it, in some ways, it's very similar to Earth's magnetic field, but then the magnetic field becomes very twisted over time. So there's a solar cycle. Every 11 years, the magnetic field of the sun flips. And when it flips, it straightens itself out. And then as time goes on, it twists itself up again. So when things get very twisted towards the peak of the solar cycle, you have lots of eruptions, and that's essentially where the magnetic fields are coming from. Okay. So the plasma bubbles up off of the sun and the magnetic field comes with it. Are we, have we just gone through a period? Because I remember, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking four or five, which means it's eight to ten years ago, there was this period where we were almost having to deal with this on a daily basis. Yeah, we were. 2012 was really a, an, a very active time. Okay, that was only three years. Yeah, ago. yeah. Right. <laughs> but then there, I think there was even one like ten... 15 years ago there's been there are some really bad periods of time there there are there are so right now we're either at the peak at solar maximum or just beyond solar maximum so the way you measure the maximum is by counting the number of sunspots and the number of storms so you don't actually know you've hit solar maximum until you've gone past it okay you mentioned before that this field as i'm going to call it here Mm -hmm. goes through pipelines does it go through us too uh, in a sense, it flows through us, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not something that really affects our bodies. So we're not, uh, we're not charged. We're not induct, uh, conductors the way the pipelines are. Okay. So we're okay. We're okay. What, why are we not? I mean, we have, we have water. We have, uh, I mean, it would seem like we have the material to we become. We do. We do. So uh, on a really, really small scale, on an atomic scale, you have electrical charges. Uh, but on uh, overall, we're neutral. Our bodies on the large scale, on, you know, on the scale of a six-foot human being is neutral. So, uh, you know, when, they, when doctors say put you in an MRI machine, right. they're inducing, um, they're aligning your, uh, your uh, electrons and protons and such with a magnetic field so that they can see what's going on. Okay. That's okay. That's I didn't even realize that's how that worked. So they're basically they're basically working with whatever your magnetic yeah. field is, aligning to that, and then taking the picture right yeah. at that moment. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We're gonna take a short break. Let's let everybody absorb some of what we've uh, already heard. We'll take a uh, short break. Come back and continue our discussion with Dr. Carrie Black. Uh, we're talking about the sun. Obviously, she would be happy to take any and all questions on uh, any of those fields. And again, our number is 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. We'll be back right after this. 
John Jameson is totally focused on insurance. A great thing for his clients, not always for his kids. Okay, last Friday when my date showed up, what was up with that quiz? What? Just a few little questions to make sure you two have a safe time out there. The quiz lasted an hour and a half. We missed the movie. Oops. And when we got there, I had to explain that we were late because you quizzed Jimmy on his insurance coverage. His knowledge was a little thin. Dad, a 16-year-old boy should not be expected to know the exact amount of his auto-deductible. Well, I might disagree with you there. Or the three separate components of auto liability coverage? One out of three is not a very good score, honey. New rule, Dad, okay? Next boy I bring over, stick to scaring him to death. Like normal dads. Got it? John Jameson, loving insurance so you don't have to. I could tell him horror stories about inadequate home, auto, and business coverage. <sighs> it's a start, Dad. Jameson Insurance. For home, business, and auto. In Waitsfield, Richmond, and Waterbury. Walk on in. JamesonIns.com. Vermonters agree, every child deserves a strong start. But how do we help them succeed? 80% of the brain develops by age 3 and 90% by age 5. So, for our youngest children, learning starts day one. Through reading, singing, talking, and playing, we help them build the skills they need to succeed. In school, in relationships, in life. Join the statewide conversation about the importance of the first years at letsgrowkids.org. For the latest weather forecast, call the WDEV weather phone, 800 585 1211 or 244-1172. The WDEV Weather Phone, sponsored by Twin City Subaru on the Berlin Mall Road. Stop in today and let one of the gurus introduce you to Vermont's unofficial state car. Back in our discussion, we've uh, been talking about uh, the sun with uh, Dr. Uh, Kerry Black. You can join us as well, too. 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. Here's a really broad question for you. How much have we learned about the sun in the last 25 years or so? We have learned a lot. Uh, five years ago, the Solar Dynamics Observatory was launched, and, and it was revolutionary in a sense. We got very high-resolution images of the sun. So it's helped our models quite a bit to have to have that kind of high-resolution data. So the work that I do is on a scale that's even smaller than what the satellites can currently re resolve. So in some, some, some senses, it's very interesting. And on, in other ways, I keep kind of like pounding the pavement and be like, I want better instruments that can do higher resolution studies. Let's, let's go for this. But there mm -hmm. are technical challenges for, to do that. Like what? I mean, it probably can't get too close, obviously. It, it can't get too close. One of the issues actually is the large data sets. So the data, the, you know, like terabytes and terabytes of data that are collected by the satellites have to be transmitted back down to Earth. And, and so that's an issue. There, there's a ground-based telescope that's being built in Hawaii right now, the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope. And this is supposed to be able to take images um, almost on the time scales and the spatial scales that, that I need. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Quite a bit. Yeah, it'd be really rough, too, if you had to get stationed in Hawaii. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be the end of the world? <laughs> what, what have we learned about the sun with this new, new high-powered equipment? Well, we've been able to see some structures that we weren't able to see before, some really, really small-scale structures. So one of the problems that people are working on is that the, the atmosphere of the sun has a region that's much higher temperature than the surface of the sun. So you would think that when you move away from a heat source, the temperature just falls it's, off. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
but it, there's an area in the solar corona where it, it goes up by orders of magnitude. It goes from something like 6,000 degrees on the surface to a million degrees. So, yay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's called the coronal heating problem. And some of the folks that I work with are, are studying how this could possibly happen. So in some way, Solar Dynamics Observatory has been able to help with this. They've, they've been able to get a better feel for what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so folks have been able to develop um, some, some models that seem to be matching some of the data that's coming from there. What's the working theory on why there would be warmer away from the surface than on the surface? So the, the idea, well, there, there are competing theories. There are competing theories. Some, there's something that's called the, the wave heating theory, which is that, uh, that lots of electromagnetic waves are interacting in the surface. I, I'm sorry, in the atmosphere. And that that's what's causing this. It's like giving off heat when these things collide. Excuse me. And then there's another, there's another theory that was put forward by a woman that I, I work with, Nikki Vile, that's called uh, nanoflare heating. So she, the idea is that there are lots of small solar flares, nanoflares, and that they are constantly releasing lots of energy and that maybe we just haven't been able to see them very, very well, but that potentially this is they're the conduit for energy to be released in the atmosphere. So hmm. I, I should correct myself. Nikki is wonderful and she's done really incredible work. The idea originally came from Jean Parker, who is a, a very well-known um, physicist. Who's, he's sort of the grandfather of the field in some ways. Hmm. I'm almost thinking that and this, again, might be way off. You know, sometimes when you put your hand over the top of a flame... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the heat's all relative, but it feels sometimes even hotter than you, know, you can put your finger, finger through, through a it. flame. Huh? That, no, mm, not, no. Well, I don't know because if you put if you left your finger in yeah. the flame for as long as you put your hand over, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's a theory that we could maybe not have to do a lot of experimenting <laughs> on. Let's head over to Barry. Bill, how you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. This is really fascinating. Um, I, uh, Doctor, you used the word saving, I believe, a couple of times. I think you mentioned it in regards to the sun's energy. But uh, my thought is can what you do, the work you do, uh, and this type of thing, can this be used to help develop better batteries for saving electricity? Hmm. That's a really tough question. That's a really tough question. So I guess the technology development component of the stuff we have to do for the sun could, in principle, have some sort of feedback into that kind of technology. Uh, but I'm not an engineer, and I don't know the details of that kind of stuff. I know that the instruments that we have to build for our satellites need to be hardened against radiation. Um, and the power sources that we need for our satellites are... I think they largely run on on solar power and and I believe on some on nuclear power as well. So we're I don't believe start storing large batteries um, to power our, our things. I, it's a really great question. It's something I'm going to have to explore when I get back to work. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate your call. Two four four seventeen seventy seven is our local number. Toll free eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. Has there been any? positive movement towards being able to figure out this being able to capture and store this incredible power and energy uh, there's not a whole lot of work that's going into it right now by and large we don't have funding to explore that 
things, though, like the solar sail concept um, are being developed and not just for, for solar missions. So the solar sail is essentially um, a it's a sail, but what it does is you're, when you're hit by these particles that are coming off of the sun all the time, those things push push the satellite. I, I could be wrong about this, but I really don't think that we have a solar sail that's operational. I, I could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about global warming and they say it's really about what's going on with the sun uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember if they attribute it to, to the solar flares that are happening, but they, in essence, claim it's solar activity and not human activity that's causing this heat up. Is there anything remotely close to what you do that could help solve that question? Well, there's a lot of discussion that happens with the, with the solar physicists and with the climate physicists about what's going on. By and large, these things are very, very decoupled. So the the things that are happening in our atmosphere that are chemical changes um, that are responsible for global warming are different than what I study, which is the input uh, from the sun. Now, the systems are, are decoupled, but there is some relation, right? Because, you know, the sun warms us and, and it's responsible in some senses for life on Earth. Uh, there's a solar wind, so this constant emission of magnetic fields and particles coming off of the sun. And these winds have different speeds and people have noticed at very, very high altitudes in Earth's environment that when you get a change in that speed, it affects the very high level winds hmm. as well. But... But it's happening in a thin layer that's way, way out away from the surface of the planet. So many, many changes happen before you see any of that energy hit the ground. Wow. I mean, how do, how do we even have the instruments to be measuring that kind of stuff? That sounds so precise. It is. It's really great. Uh, we, have, we have lots of satellites that sit in, in Earth's orbit that are looking at Earth that can measure these things. Yeah. And uh, I... It's a field that I'm not terribly familiar with, but I, I know that there are things that they can do, like um, like sending. A, it's called a, it's lidar rather than radar. Okay. Uh, I don't remember what lidar stands for, unfortunately. But you can you can probe you can probe the layers of the atmosphere by by sending certain energies, uh, you know, wavelengths in, into the surface, and you can see this kind of stuff happen. Okay. How um, is the sun getting less powerful over time? Less powerful over time, not on a scale that affects us. So the sun right now is about four and a half billion years old. And we've got another six billion years to go before we, before it becomes a, a giant, before it becomes a red giant. And, and from there, uh, you know, it'll blow off its outer layers and then it will, it will collapse into a white dwarf. And, and then you'll see uh, over trillions of years, over about a trillion years, then the star will slowly die. So on our lifetimes, we're not going to see a significant change to the sun's power. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is a white dwarf? A white dwarf is a small, very compact star. So it's about 100 times smaller than our star is. Um, it's it's got lots of mass, but it's incredibly compact, and they're they're all over the the galaxy. Wow. Okay. How big? You described before that the sun is warmer off of the surface mm -hmm. than on the surface. Mm -hmm. Is there a 
quote unquote atmosphere around the yes. sun and how is it bigger than the earth's atmosphere for example yeah it is it is the solar corona is uh, i believe millions of miles thick it's okay. very thick. And in some senses, the entire solar system is the atmosphere of the sun. You know, the sun is ah, the center, right. right? So we all live in the magnetic field Wait a of minute, the wait sun. a minute. I thought Earth was the center and, and everything involved. <laughs> oh, no, we already dispelled that theory. People actually, I think, died for that theory. They did. They absolutely did. How do we know, how do you know that the sun is four and a half billion years old and that it has, I guess, equally important, that it has another six and a half to go. How do, how do we possibly know that? That is a really, really good question. I've puzzled over this one for a long time. So they do some sort of calculation where you, you look at our star and you look at other stars that are similar to it, and I, it's an estimate. It's an estimate. It, I so couldn't tell you exactly. I haven't done the calculation myself. Maybe give or take a half a billion. Yeah, right, right. There. Because it would just seem as though that would be a terribly difficult thing to measure mm -hmm. and a terribly difficult thing to predict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. I think you can estimate how much material is in the core. How they make that estimate, I don't know. But then you can you can do, I think, a relatively simple calculation from there's this much material in the core. It, it's fu it's you know generating fusion. It's fusing at a particular rate. And so we think it'll take this long to, ru to run out. Are we sending any kind of probes towards the sun? Yes. Yes, we are. There's a mission that's being built right now called Solar Probe Plus, and it is going to, it's supposed to launch, I think, in another 10 or 15 years if we stay on schedule. Okay. Um, and that's going to go very, very close to the surface of the sun. So within within like a million miles of the surface of the really? sun. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then do you know what it's going to measure? It's going to measure particles. It's going to measure the population, the number of, uh, of electrons and the number of, of protons, so the positively charged particles. And it, it's going to measure magnetic fields as well. Okay. Which is what I am really excited about. When I first got to NASA, I, I went to a friend of mine and said, can we just launch a satellite right into the sun? Like, I want to, I want to measure those magnetic fields down low. And he said, actually, we've been working on that for about 50 years. So, Yeah, yeah. And then you showed up, right. So <laughs> Good time. And presumably it would collect data and then burn itself up. Or not. So I was just actually puzzling over this the other day. I'm not sure if it's going to dive bomb into the sun or if it's going to go back out into some you know large orbit and and just hang out in space for a while wow it's going to take many years to get there because they're trying to avoid the dive bomb directly okay. if we can get many many passes you know in closer and closer to the sun we get our money's worth moment of your time for our friends at the vermont coffee company it is coffee roasted for friends if you're going to be hanging out watching i don't know maybe a space mission and at your house maybe have a cup of joe with one of your friends invite them on over you know a little bonding over a uh, well we're not sending the shuttle up anymore right no uh, no just we're trying to get to mars and places like that so if you uh, have a uh, maybe one friend left and you'd like to invite them over for a cup of joe make it for my coffee company coffee make it the coffee that fuels your rocket ship each and every day you can find this great product at your favorite independent grocery store you can find it at your favorite local co-op you can always purchase it online as well too and that would be at their website vermontcoffeecompany.com if you happen to be in the middlebury area they just opened a beautiful new cafe you can look at it on their website it's uh, really uh, it's a, just a, a wood euphoria going on there. So check that out if you happen to be in the Middlebury area. They are welcoming you there 
to their site. It's uh, pretty close to Route 7 there, so it's not a big deal for you to head on over there. And they'd love to see you. And uh, a couple of people already have, even while they've been listening to the ad uh, that we've been talking about in the past. So I encourage you to do so. Our friends at the Vermont Coffee Company are uh, in Middlebury, but you'll find their product wherever you hear my voice. And if you don't, uh, find it in your favorite independent grocery store, your favorite local co-op. Ask them to carry it, and if they don't, just purchase it online. It's that easy. That's the easiest way to send it to friends and relatives out of town. We'll take a short break. If you have any comments or questions this morning for Dr. Kerry Black, any questions about the sun, you're welcome to join us. That's the S-U-N. You can join us at 244 1777, toll free 877-291-8255. Let me uh, take this call first. We go to Northfield. Hi, Todd. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Um, I may be a little late on the conversation. Very interesting conversation. But I was wondering if uh, if maybe she thought this had anything to do with global warming because of the peak of the solar activity and if it might lesson over the next few years and i can sit back out in the sun some more <laughs> okay all right yeah we kind of delved into this a little bit but i'll have her i'll have her comment again on it carrie so by and large we we believe that the global warming problem is is decoupled from the sun problem so the the physics that's happening with the sun is is very removed from what's happening on Earth. Uh, we're very protected. We have uh, with the magnetic field of the sun and the atmosphere uh, down low. So we're lucky. If we didn't have this magnetic field protecting us from the sun, we'd be very exposed to, to radiation. So the things that are happening, um, they're essentially happening in the global changes that are happening are happening inside a shell essentially essentially so even though there are some inputs that are from the sun that affect high level winds the changes that are happening due to climate change are chemical changes in the atmosphere and not directly related to the sun thank you for your call we'll take a short break we'll be back right after these important announcements Novello Furniture on the very Montpelier Road has just returned from a furniture buying trip and they need to make room for the new merchandise. They're changing out many of their showroom samples and passing the savings on to you. Now is the time to spruce up your home during Novello Furniture's summer floor sample sale with fantastic savings on hundreds of items throughout the store. Save at least 10% off their old sale prices and up to 60% off their current floor samples. Sofas, love seats, chairs, and rockers all on sale. Bedroom sets, mattresses, dining room sets and lamps all marked down. Futons, bunk beds and chairs all are reduced. Even entertainment centers and leather furniture are on sale. Novello Furniture is over 30,000 square feet of quality furniture at affordable prices. Come in now and save 10 to 60% on all current floor samples during the summer floor sample sale going on now at Novello Furniture on the Barry Montpelier Road. Novello Furniture, better furniture for less. All Smiles Family Dental Center is Central Vermont's Invisalign preferred provider. To celebrate, we're offering Invisalign for the same price as traditional braces. Affordable financing programs are also available. There's no reason not to get the fantastic smile you deserve with comfortable, clear, virtually invisible Invisalign aligners. Now for the same price as braces. Call 476-8700. That's 476-8700 to arrange a free initial consultation or visit MyVT smiles.com on the Barry Montpelier Road. Are you all smiles? All smiles, all smiles. 
Corey, a great place to go for lunch today. Maybe you could go where I went uh, yesterday. I had the fabulous uh, chicken soup that they have there on occasion. They have great sandwiches, too. And this is all at Red Hen Cafe and Bakery right off of Interstate 89, Exit 9 in Middlesex. I know what you really care about is uh, what I had for dessert because, really, that's what you justify lunch for. I had one of these. Uh, it's a new product they have down there. It's a cinnamon sticky bun that they have. It's um, uh, it's it looks like uh, it's kind of got the nice little swirl here, and it was it's like eating air is actually the way I would describe it to you. Uh, nice little maple flavor, nice little cinnamon. I'm just showing our guests here. You can check that oh, out. Oh, man, that uh, looks delicious. Yeah. I want some of that right now. Yeah, well, you could take a look at the picture. That's, I think, about as close as you're going to get. <laughs> but, I mean, that isn't even a terribly good picture. And even my mouth is watering looking at that. But you have to have lunch first. You have to have a sandwich or a soup. They make uh, signature sandwiches, too. I'm not really sure why I took a picture of this. <laughs> it's picture-worthy. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, you know, a little bit of food porn, I guess. But. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I encourage you to head on down. See our friends at Red Hen Cafe and Bakery right off of Interstate 89, Exit 9 in Middlesex. Robert, really fast question for our guest, Kerry Black. Well, I just wondered if your guest could adjust the possibility and the dangers of a Carrington event happening and... Uh Ah, being done about that. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Thank yep. you very much. So, Carring a Carrington event happened in 1859. It was the largest storm ever recorded. Aurora were seen as far south as Hawaii, and they were so bright that people could read, read their papers at night wow. outside. It was, it was very huge. A storm of that magnitude happened in July of 2012, July 23rd of 2012. So, these things happen somewhat regularly once every 100 to 200 years on average but we we avoided you know being hit by the storm on earth it went out the backside and went towards mars and some of nasa satellites out out, out back if it had gone towards earth would it knocked out all of our communication equipment it, or it would have at least taken communications offline for for a period of time so the electrical uh, power companies are, are working very hard to to Harden the systems to that. Wow, I mean that sounds like a serious national defense issue. There's a lot of work. Uh, the White House and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission are both taking this very seriously and working on on uh, steps to to mitigate such. Okay. Things. The, the only advice I'm going to give you as we depart here: remember the lesson of Icarus. Yes. That. <laughs> That's going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you very much for joining us on the program this week. Have a great weekend, everybody, and come back and join us same time, same place Monday, right here on FM 96. Point one WDEV Warren AM 550 WDEV Waterbury Montpelier News is next. I'm Rita Foley. It took just a few minutes.